if those systems are deployed as part of digital governance, what we will see is more exclusion, more people outside this digital world. So it's important that the concept and the design of new services, new interfaces should be done using people from the, the global south in the global south. Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects and challenges of technology in the global south through the voices of experts in and from the global south. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Elena Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. In this episode, I'm so pleased to be speaking to Virgilio Almeida, Professor Emeritus of Computer Science at the Federal University of Minas Gerais in Brazil and Faculty Associate at the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard University. Virgilio and I served together on the Global Commission of the Stability of Cyberspace, but he's far more distinguished than me, having been the National Secretary for Information Technology Policies of the Brazilian Government, Chair of the Brazilian Internet Steering Committee, and Chair of NetMundial, the Global Multi-Stakeholder Conference on the Future of Internet Governance in 2014. So Virgilio, you've authored a number of really interesting pieces one of the ones that really struck my attention was your piece not too long ago with Bruce Gasser on digital governance. And so I'd like to pick up on some of the points that you raised in that piece and some of your other pieces, but maybe I'll start off with your view on what you see as Brazil's top three mm-hmm. most urgent tech-related priorities in the next decade or the next 20 years. And are Brazil's priorities reflective of Latin America's priorities as a whole? Thank you, Elena, for the invitation to be uh, a participant of this podcast. And the, 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 the questions you sent me are really good. And uh, let's talk about the, uh, the three most urgent tech-related priorities. Actually, there are much more than three, but I'll try to, to concentrate on three and uh, I think that the first one, that is not only a problem of Brazil, but is a problem of Latin America, is the digital gap, the digital exclusion, where part of the population, not a, not a small part of the population, does not have access to digital services and to the internet. So I think this is uh, the first and, and maybe the most important problem. The second problem that is, actually it's it's a problem associated with the first one. Uh, It's what we can call digital illiteracy that uh, uh, represents those part of the population that do not understand the digital environment. They don't know how to use the digital services. Uh, They don't know how to to, uh, make their life better using digital services. It's a, it's a kind of digital exclusion because some of them, especially that happens in the poor parts of the urban, urban centers. It happens in the, in the rural area and it happens a lot with old people. The other problem that 
is related to Latin America. It's the issue of cybersecurity and cybercrime and cyber safety. Because of the pandemics, we observed, we noted a, a rapid transformation of the society into uh, the digital life. Most of the people that uh, never uh, went to digital service, they rely on, on digital service to get job, to work. And because of this rapid digital transformation, we also observed in Latin America, in Brazil, and also in Latin America, the rise of cyber crime and cyber attacks. Not talking about political attacks, but cyber uh, attacks that represent fraud, that try to get money from the people. So I think it's not a problem in the, in the old sense that we need a cybersecurity strategy. It's a problem that, that needs to be solved uh, in a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. It, it must include police, but it must include society. Another problem that I think that it's, it, again, it's not only a problem uh, from Brazil or that happens only in Brazil, is that society as a whole are not aware of the risks of the digital transformation. People move into the digital environment without thinking about uh, what are the risks. And if they don't know what are the risks, if they are not concerned about the risk, they don't press the politician to discuss those things. So they don't question the government about the risks. So it, it, it's a problem in a society where there is big inequalities because you have a few people that have resource, that uh, have education, but you have a lot of people that does not have education and they are not aware of that. So it's, it's another problem of Latin America, uh, of the Latin American region. People are not, are not aware of the impact of automation and robotics. In particular, the impact of automation in job creation or job destruction, in the reduction of wages. So that's a big problem. Society are not aware, is not aware, and governments, in, the, in, in particular the, the Brazilian government, does not say anything about that, does not present public policies uh, to minimize the risks, the impact, uh, to, offer, to offer people a pathway to a new kind of environment. So this, I think those are the, 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 the main problems. The challenges that you listed out, both for Brazil in particular and Latin America in general, are more social and governance related, not so much technology related, because we often think of tech as technical issues, right? Yeah. Um, and we often forget that so much of tech is social. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about where both Brazil and Latin America currently stand in meeting those challenges that you listed out. How, how are they doing? Well, that's, that's another interesting question. Before I talk about what are the possibilities of, of uh, attacking those problems or facing those problems, there is another subtle problem that is interesting to mention. Because you emphasize the, the connection between the problem and the social aspects of, the, of those counts. But there is another one that I would say that 
what we have seen in many countries, we have seen a lot of uh, implementation of algorithmic decision systems in digital government. One big impact of that is that they are somehow reducing the space for public actions, for politicians to act and for policymakers to do things because they are solved by algorithms. So that's a, that's a problem that will be uh, bigger in the, in the next 10 years. So uh, I, I would call this erosion of public spaces. So let's move to the other question. What can be done? You know, uh, uh, I'm a kind of optimistic, and I will tell you why. There are negative and positive signs coming from society, mainly from society, not from government. What are those positive signs? I have observed, noted in Brazil, that uh, new and active independent think tanks and NGOs and uh, also in Latin America have been uh, active fighting new legislation, discussing, proposing new legislation or new uh, uh, regulation for not regulation for digital search. So this is an important thing that uh, is new. We, we, we didn't see this emergence of many uh, think tanks and NGOs in the past, but now we see a lot of them working hard on the, uh, on the social medias. And the other positive sign is that I have observed not only in Brazil, a strong re reaction from vulnerable groups in Brazil and Latin America, such as black people populations or black people, LGBT, indigenous peoples in Brazil, they have a strong presence on social media. So they have now created a space for discussion of those problems that were not be possible in, in the old days where you had some sort of few gatekeepers for disseminating information, the newspapers but now you have the social media. That's a positive aspect of social media because most of people say, well, social media is negative, but they present some, some, some gains for society. Another, well, I, I, I mentioned two positive issues. There is one issue related to politics. In the case of Brazil, there are some bills being discussed in Congress about transparency, about uh, rules, that must be followed by uh, social media platforms. So it's a positive thing. It could not be perfect, but it has been discussed in, in, in Congress. So that, that's another positive thing. Negative things, uh, in my viewpoint, the digital governance related to big techs have been solved by judiciary initiatives so far. One good example is the case of Telegram that was blocked for two days by the Supreme Court in Brazil because they did not answer the questions and the, and the demands of the Supreme Court. And what I also see as a negative sign is that the lack of public policies for digital from government policymaking does not address issues such as automation. I would say that automation and surveillance surveillance is, is partial 
covered by the Brazilian law for personal data protection. But we need more, more specific laws for that. Uh, in this case of discussions of problems and proposals, uh, I don't see a, the existence of public space for that. We have Congress, but a public space, and in this case, the public space uh, is the social media. But uh, we need to see more a, a more organized discussion about public policies for the digital life. It's funny because you mentioned the erosion of public space in one aspect, but at the same time, it seems as if there are really encouraging signs of the expansion of public space, particularly among the grassroots organizations that you yeah. mentioned. And but, they do, but they do not include government. <laughs> Right, so shrinking in one sense and then expanding. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, perhaps an interesting balance going on there. But um, and maybe this is a topic for another conversation. But I'm so interested in your mention of even indigenous communities going online on social media to talk more about their worldviews and their perspectives and their role in tech. Because I noticed really interesting conversations in this space uh, amongst indigenous communities elsewhere as well. And in fact, in this podcast, we'll be featuring the perspectives of the Maori in, in Aotearoa in New Zealand. So perhaps we can have another discussion yeah. on that, Virgilio. Well, yeah, the way that, the way that I see the, the, the participation of indigenous groups in social media is based on three things. The first one, they have very smart young people. So it's a new generation of indigenous people that know how to, to deal with the digital. They know how to use the tools. So some of them became influencers. They have a lot of followers. And that's a good thing. In the last uh, uh, climate conference last year, uh, we saw two Brazilian young women from indigenous groups. They had a very important role in the conference. So one thing is that the young generation know how to use digital. The other thing is that they know to connect their local problems to the global concerns. So what are the topics of that connection? Climate change, preservation of forests, use of sustainable practices, because they do that. They protect the forest, the Amazonia. So they know how to disseminate their culture to the global community or the global world. So that's an, uh, the second interesting point. The third one is that they, they do this fight also in Brazil, defending the, the Amazonia. And that's another important scene. So they have a lot of followers. They have presence in the big media because they are present in the social media. So there is a connection between social media and big media. Maybe I should get some recommendations from you. I've, I've been educating myself on some indigenous community issues as well in places like Canada and also perhaps no, I can get some suggestions. Some of the, the young indigenous people, they speak English. Some of them were trained outside Brazil, educated, and they returned to the forest. Right. That's a new scene. Wow, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And maybe this is a good segue to talk about digital governance and the inclusivity of digital governance. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, you had written this really fascinating piece with Urs Kasa. And of course, this is something that you've already written about in the past as well. But can you unpack for us what 
you mean by digital governance and how can it play a role in meeting the challenges that you mentioned? I think that the, the word governance uh, is a concept with many meanings. But in, in, in our discussion here, uh, I have two definitions and uh, one comment on that. The first one is, is the basic definition that we have used. I've been working with some political scientists and they are very important to this issue because they bring uh, fresh air to the discussion of digital. We should not restrict our conversation to tech people or to government or to business. We need to include social scientists and political scientists. So uh, in this case, one definition that I have worked with a friend of mine from the political uh, science department is that digital governance is the capacity of multiple institutions in the digital world to govern in a legitimate, inclusive, and secure manner the use of digital commons to produce sustainable services and public policies implemented by governments and firms in a non-territorial world. So this is one definition based on part on some political scientists. There is one interesting observation, Elena, that there are some important political scientists such as Eleanor Ostrom. She was Nobel Prize of Economics, and she has a wonderful theory called polycentric theory, where she proposed the connection of multiple centers to govern global problems. And she focused on environment. And I think that environment and the digital, they have uh, several commonalities, and we need to explore them for both cases not only to learn from them and also to provide them resources and means for the, the, the global governance of, the, of climate and other environment issues. So uh, uh, it's interesting that we need to have a multidisciplinary view on those problems. Again, we should uh, go out to listen other groups, not on to listen to the, the same people. Uh, one, another interesting characteristic working with these people from political science is that we can summarize the main common elements of governance structures in three elements. One is decision-making, the second one is accountability and transparency, and the third one is coordination. So these are the pillars of modern governance systems, because we in digital usually they think that lawyers, judiciary solve all the questions, and that's not the case. So we need to think in a different way. The other point that I would like to mention is that we need innovation in governance. Technology evolves quickly, and governance is always behind technology. And I think that, that that's the way that things are. But if we look into the past, we see some moments of innovation that we don't see now. One was the creation of ICANN. The structure and the architecture of ICANN was a big innovation for most stakeholder groups, most stakeholder uh, decision process. In our case in Brazil, 
we had two important moments of innovation. In 1995, the Brazilian government created the Internet Steering Committee, the CGI, as a multi-stakeholder model without the majority from Goddard. So that was an innovation in 1995. And another innovation that, that was done here in Brazil was the Net Mundial, that was a multi-stakeholder conference organized in a multi-stakeholder way to propose a roadmap for the future, for the future internet governance. But it is, in, it is important to, to remember that Net Mundial focused on the problems of that time. And at that time, 2014, we didn't have the importance of social media. We didn't have those things. One of the problems was espionage because of his Snowden revelations. But new problems came out after 2014 and still waiting for, for a good solution. Of course, you were involved in uh, the whole Net Mundial experiment, weren't you? Yeah, I was the chairman of, of the Net Mundial conference. So it was a big preparation we had here in Sao Paulo, uh, 110 representatives from, representatives from 110 countries, 1,000 people discussing in two days in a multi-stakeholder way, two documents, one principles for internet governance, and the second one was roadmap for, for governance. So characteristically modest, Virgilio. Yes, I just happened to have been the chairman then. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good, it, it was a work of many people in many institutions. I was just part of that. Well, the work could not have been without good leadership. So if you, if you are going to be modest, Virgilio, I will play up the compliments for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also wanted to get your thoughts about this concept of path dependency that you yeah. talk about uh, in light of digital governance. And this, of course, ties to what you said about the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to thinking about the governance of the digital space. Um, can you talk a little bit about yeah. what these path dependency risks are? Many years ago, I wrote an article with Wolfgang from Germany. You, you know him. And uh, the example that we gave there was about the tropical forest. In the tropical forest, it's hard to understand the forest because of the large number of species and animals. But one thing you have to keep in mind, in terms of governing the forest, you should not create rules or norms that will harm the forest in the future. So that's the point of past dependence. We should not create things that will harm the future. When you, you sent me the, this question, I said, well, that's a difficult question to give example. So, but I, I, I thought about that, and I think that I, I, I have two or three examples that represent what we see now. The first one is the lack of a formal space for governing issues related to security and uh, safety without the military. Because most of the activities related to cybersecurity, they are developed in the context of the militaries. And they do not include the civil society, the NGOs. 
it's a difficult dialogue between these two groups. And what we see now is that discussions about cybersecurity, cybersecurity plans are also leaded by militaries and do not involve civil society. So that's a kind of thing that represents what happened, happened in the past. But now the digital is part of, of the day-to-day -day life. So you need to include the civil society. Another problem related to this past dependency is that inequality. Inequality is, is a big problem in the developing world. And because of that, powerful groups dominate most of the discussion. They dominate proposals of government. So the, this historical inequality makes it difficult to come up with some governance policies that are inclusive, that try to, to reduce poverty. So I think that's another example of past dependency. And a third example is the lack of qualified human resource in development countries. I like very much what you had to say about why the multidisciplinary approach, cross-disciplinary, some people have used interdisciplinary approach to thinking about digital governance is really important because actually that's been a theme throughout the guests that I've had on the podcast. And it goes to your point as well about broadening the scope beyond the militaries and the lawyers and the technologists involved in the creation of the digital space, right? And to help make it a more equitable or equal commons for us all. And so perhaps uh, we can tie this up with your thoughts on how you think researchers, policymakers, others in these many different disciplines, particularly in the global south, can contribute to a more creative way of looking at things in terms of digital governance, maybe create a more equal or equitable, as I was mentioning, framework of the digital space? Well, that's a good question. And I think that we can start with a, a good document that was prepared by a group that you participated, which is the Beyond North South Fork on the Road uh, to AI Governance an action plan for democratic and distributed integrity. I think this is a great document. It's, it's a good example of an attempt to, to bridge this gap and to bring people from different areas, although most of them were related somehow to, take to, to digital. But anyway, this is really a good document and should be uh, uh, read by people. Uh, another thing is that one of the ways to put together researchers, policymakers in the global south, it's, it's also part of the document that I just mentioned, is that to create incentives to retain domestic digital talent in the global south. And I, I can explain you why this is important. One of the things that we have observed in the last few years is the presence of voice assistants, such as Alexa and others. And we see that that technology, voice recognition to map to text, that technology was developed for Global North, for white people. So if you consider small groups in the Amazonia, or if you consider small groups in the poorest parts of Brazil, they have a different accent. 
although they speak Portuguese, but they have a very regional accent that those systems do not understand. And if those systems are deployed as part of digital governance, what we will see is more exclusion, more people outside this digital world. So it's important that the concept and the design of new services, new interfaces, new tools should be done using people from the, the global south in the global south. So that, that, that's a good example. The other thing that it should be done in the, in, now is to educate computer science students and computer engineering students with a social and political context. They think that they live in a world of code, but they live in a world of people, of problems, of exclusions, and they have to be aware of that when they are trained. Because code will make a difference in the life of people. But the same should, should be done to a law school and to bring some, some, some technology to their formation. But always in this context of social and political impact, because now technology is directly related to, to social and political impact. Another important example that, for the importance of keeping research labs in the South is that computing research has an important role in digital governance. Because we are talking about big, powerful, and complex digital platforms. They are opaque. We don't know how, how things are decided inside those big platforms. So computing research has a role as a detector of social changes in the platforms. They can pinpoint social and political problems. They can audit what those platforms are doing. They can inform the people or the society about the way that those platforms work with specific issues. So I think these are some points that we need to bring together. Researchers, policymakers, and people from different areas and I, I would emphasize it, in particular, people from social science and humanities. Some would say creative arts as well. Um, Artists, that's right, because right? They, you are right. Sorry that for one <laughs> them, yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they, they have a, a very important role, not only in design right. uh, interface, but also in, in the concept of the tools of the platform. They are very important. Right. And if, if the audience needs any more examples of Virgilio's modesty. This report that you mentioned, Virgilio, you are one of the key players, in fact, one of the authors of the report, Beyond the North-South Fork on the Road to AI Governance, and we'll be sure to drop the link on that. Uh, yeah. I also agree, I, I have very little to do with it, but it was such an enlightening experience for me to listen to you and others in the working group really talk through some of these issues with such knowledge and expertise and experience. Um, so I highly commend that report, partly because people like Virgilio wrote it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and Virgilio, you mentioned uh, yeah. some of these inequities, uh, not only in the operating languages, but also I would add people like Nick Caudry have mentioned about this inequality and in even the business processes that market some of these platforms yeah. and systems, right? Right, yeah. That's a good, a good point, yeah. 
So Virgilio, on that note, trying to maintain capacity and develop that capacity in the South for the South by people of the South, I think is a really good point. I apologize if I'm paraphrasing you, but all your points were so pertinent um, to the discussions that are missing, in fact, from a lot of the headlines and working papers that we often see. Um, thank you very much, Virgilio, for joining us, for sharing your insights, particularly in breaking them down in very simple examples like the rainforest example and and so appropriate from someone coming from the uh, Amazon from the global region. south yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> thank you Virgilio thank you thank you for the invitation as always it was a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for the questions thank you so much for joining us I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful this podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.